The passage we're going to be in, Matthew 16, verse 24, is on page 6, I'm sorry, verse 21, is on page 694 of the Bridgeway Bibles. And while you guys turn there, I'm going to read this uh, quote to you. One trait that could never characterize the Christian community more is that of giving it all up for the sake of the gospel and the glory of God. Yet ours is a day when very little of that is seen or even spoken of as something to be pursued. The Bible, however, is full of examples of both men and women who have done just that. In this verse, which is Acts 15:26, Luke says of Barnabas and Paul that they were men who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. A quote is by a gentleman named Sherard Burns. You might ask yourself, or ask in general, who the heck is Sherard Burns? Well, he is a very good friend of a gentleman named D. Lanier. So who's D. Lanier? D. Lanier is the guy that owns the blog that, that I, I found that on. Um, they're just two guys pursuing God. They live in North Carolina. They're good friends. They go to church together. And uh, on Friday night when I got home to put my notes together, you know, I just wanted to get my thoughts organized. I thought, I'm going to do the hyper-spiritual thing. I'm just going to Google my topic to see what comes up. And maybe I can just plagiarize something. No luck. But I did find this quote on the blog. And so I emailed D and I asked him if I could use it. And, of course, he was somewhat astonished. He was like, really? I was like, yeah, it'll be online next week. You and your friend can download it and say, wow, we were mentioned in the church across the country. We're big time in it now. But what Sherard says spoke volumes to where my heart is on this matter of sacrifice and sacrificial living. That, that thought of laying it down, or as he says, giving it all up for the sake of the gospel and the glory of God is, is very, it seems very foreign, but it's something we, we hear about. And today we're going to dive into. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to jump into the text for this morning and we'll open up in prayer. Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord. He said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, which hurt Peter's feelings. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. Let's pray. God, this morning would you begin to open our hearts. God, would you find those cracks and those places in which we maybe are hiding ourselves, but God, would you start to break through? God, would you plant your word deep into our hearts and our minds? God, would you begin to change us this morning? Would you speak clearly? Would you send your Holy Spirit in this place? Would you dwell among us, Lord? God, give power to these words. In Jesus' name, amen. Sacrifice. Giving it up. Laying it down. 
that something that is spoken of in this passage is something that, that we seem to take lightly or for granted. What I'm about to do is take a verse, and I am going to spin it around a little, but I'm hoping that in the midst of this, you get clarity as to how the disciples heard it, what would stand out in their minds because of the visual imagery, and the things that Jesus is saying. We're going to start with this. In our text, you hear Jesus describing what a follower of His would look like. In verse 24, He says, If anyone would come after Me, he must do these things. He must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Me. Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Me. What does it mean? Well, we're going to start with what it doesn't mean. And that brings us to our fill-in-the-blank. It's on your handouts. And it's simply this. Sacrificial living is not about what you give or do. It's about how much you get out of the way. Sacrificial living is not about what you give or do, but how much you get out of the way. You see, in this year of the world impact, we got or as we call it around the office, the year of doing stuff. There's stuff to be done. Don't get me wrong. There's all kinds of stuff to be done. There's all kinds of impact to be made. But I am more... What I find more important to say is, what is the attitude behind that? Because we could do stuff all the live long day, but if our attitudes are jacked up, then the stuff we're doing is worthless. I want to make sure that the attitudes that we run out into the world to impact it are led by Christ. So let's set up the scene. Matthew writes, From this time Jesus taught His disciples. Well, what's the time? The time is literally just past the interaction of Peter confessing that Christ is the Messiah. And He's the Son of God. And He gets His name changed. And Jesus begins to teach the disciples, Listen, so now you know I'm the Messiah. Here's what's got to happen. And Peter, being Peter, Simply opens his mouth, inserts his foot, and gets rebuked. Jesus, no way! We won't let you die. Uh Uh-uh. Oh, Peter, come on. And then when he's done rebuking him, he lays out this challenge. And I'm going to start in the middle of verse 24. Jesus says, you must take up your cross. And I want to explain it. In my mind, the way I read it, the way I see it, this would stand out more than the other two. To take up your cross is something that would make the disciples' heads spin. Why? They don't see the cross the way we see the cross. We see the cross hanging on a wall with a spotlight. We see cross around our neck. We see a cross in the back of a car tattooed on someone's arm. We see the cross as a sign of hope. And freedom. And it's nice, the cross. It's a good cross. We like the cross. I'll pick up my cross, Jesus. Sure, I've got it on. Actually, I don't. I don't wear one. Sorry. Loses its effect. But we treat the cross that way. Now, when Jesus looks at the disciples and says, Take up your cross, the disciples' heads, Huh? i Because we're in the middle of the Roman Empire and the cross only means one thing. You're dead. And taking up your cross 
paints the image that when someone is crucified, they're forced to carry the crossbeam to the place of their own death. So when Jesus says, pick up your cross, it immediately says, this leads to certain death. You get it? Death. That's what the disciples saw. That's what enters their minds. Not a piece of jewelry. Not an ornament for our churches. Not a symbol of our faith. It was an instrument of death. And not just any death. A humiliating death. A death that in the Roman Empire was reserved for the dregs of society. Because if you were anyone who was anyone, like a Roman citizen, if your crime was that bad, they'd just cut your head off so you could have an honorable death. I'd rather not die at all. But if you were nobody, and they wanted to intimidate the people like you and your family, they crucified you. It was a horrible death. Excruciating pain and great length. So when you say to the disciples, take up your cross, they did a double take. And I want to point out one last thing in the midst of this. Is that, I want you to notice in this passage, Jesus fails to mention, I would say fails, I say intentionally omits the part where we put the cross back down. He doesn't talk about that part. Jesus doesn't say pick up your cross for a little while until it gets too heavy. Take up your cross and follow me. Jesus goes on to say, or actually we'll go backwards now to the beginning of the verse. Jesus says, first he must deny himself. The word deny in Greek is aparneomai. It literally means to forget oneself, to lose sight of oneself and one's own interests. And the thought, this picture is made very clear with the exchange he's just had with Peter in verse 23. When Peter offers up his wonderful advice, no, we won't let this happen to you. Jesus turns to him and says, get behind me, Satan. You become a stumbling block to me. You do not have in your mind the things of God, but only the things of men. Now, Peter, I'm sure, had the best of intentions. In his heart, he thought he was doing what was right. You're my Messiah. Right? You just, we just, you're the Messiah. We like you, Jesus. We don't want you to die. And he's set straight. But what's more important to me in this verse is not the get behind me, Satan, although I'm sure that was quite a barb, and I'm sure Peter cried. But it was the next part of this. You become a stumbling block to me. And even more importantly than that is, you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Peter, I see your intentions, your motivation. Your motivation is not to accomplish God's work. Your motivation is what's keeping you comfortable. Your motivation is yourself and what you want and what you think the guys around you want. We can't have it. We can't have that. You need to get your mind straight and get God's work on your mind. You need to stop talking this way because you're becoming a stumbling block to me. You guys, if we think about the image of the garden and Jesus on his knees sweating blood because of his torment over the decision and the anguish of his impending death, how much more difficult do you think that decision is or that struggle is if you have someone like Peter for years whispering in your ear, you don't have to die. No, no, you should stay. You should be our Messiah here. Because Peter's view was probably much like the rest of the Jewish world in that their idea of Messiah had been painted as this warrior king who would set Israel on high. And their view was he would be an overthrower of the Roman Empire. He says, no. 
get behind me, Satan. You become a stumbling block. If I let you speak that way to me, it will only cause more temptation. And you need to get your mind wrapped around God's work, not your own thing. For us, where does that speak into our lives? Where are our minds? Are our minds wrapped around God's work or are we simply trying to appease ourselves? Are we only interested in God's work when it's convenient? Finally, in this passage, Jesus says, and must follow me and follow me. Now, when I read that, initially I thought, Jesus is the manager of the redundancy department of redundancy. Because the verse starts out and it says, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross, and oh yeah, follow me. Well, what do you mean if anyone wants to come after you, he must follow you? Duh. Come on. That's pretty obvious, isn't it? I think the question we've got to honestly ask ourselves is, or I think that Jesus would ask us if that were our question. How many people have tried to come after me through false religion? How many people have tried to come after me through false doctrine and false teachers? How many people have tried to come after me by taking the things about me they like, but not wanting to deal with the things that they wrestle with? How many want to paint me as good teacher or good man, but not the Son of God Almighty? We must desire to follow Jesus and Jesus alone. Not a personality, not a pastor, not a church, not the latest Christian subculture fad. None of those things, but Jesus. I will tell you right now, we have a responsibility to take what we are taught and hold it against Scripture. No matter who is standing in this pulpit, me, Mark, Russ, or Lance himself, yeah, Lance too, take this with what we say, hold what we say up against Scripture. Vet it out. Don't take what we have to say. Just don't take our word for it. We can be wackadoos. Don't think we don't sit in the office during the week and plot. What, what crazy thing could we say this weekend to get someone all riled up? And if you disagree with us, it's fine. Disagree with us. Send us emails. We like that too. It's fun. But we as a church, we as Christ's people must be adamant about following Jesus and Jesus alone. Amen? Jesus finally goes on to say, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. And here, in this verse, is where the struggle hits its height, hits its apex. This is where the struggle between sacrifice and convenience hits a crossroads. Between what God desires and what we desire and where those two work together. Because our problem is we want to save our own lives. We want to look out for our own interests. We have ourselves in mind. We have trust issues with God. God says, sacrifice all for me. We say, well, I, I, when I can get around to it. In the young adult ministry, we have a, a purpose statement, vision statement, I, uh, stuff. I don't know. I like to call it our God's work we like to be about statement. It's this. Worship together, serve the least, restore the prodigal, and follow at cost. Now, everyone gets those first three, but when it comes to that last one, follow at cost, I get a lot of questions. What does that mean, Justin? Do I have to, like, pay money to follow Jesus? Yes, make your checks payable to me, and I'll make sure he gets them. 
No. It means follow when it's inconvenient. Follow when it's going to cost you something. Follow Jesus when it may take everything. That's what it means to follow at cost. Our problem is our own view of what sacrifice is. Our problem, and I say our because, man, we'll get to where I'm at in all of this. Our problem is our skewed view of sacrifice. You see, let's, let's be real for a minute. We don't do well with sacrifice. We do really well with spiritual procrastination or spiritual postponement. We don't sacrifice well. Let's take this. This is my favorite example. Fasting. As you can tell, fasting is not high on my spiritual discipline list. Okay? I'm not going to lie. I don't do fasting well. But our problem is, if you go back 100, 150 years in the church, what you will find is when the church talks about fasting, they talk about fasting and they mean, don't eat. In fact, you guys, the Greek word for fasting means not to eat. That's what it means. They meant don't eat. A hundred years of history has brought us to a place where we say fasting means simply giving something up. And what do we give up? Coffee. I'm impressed. We try to do it in the back. The kids are going to fast. Be sacrificial about things. What are you giving up, Timmy? Mountain Dew. I'm sure you're pain-stricken about that, too. Lent just kicked off this last week. and I know you're thinking, we're not a Catholic church. That's a little bigger than that. Lent started as a season of sacrifice leading up to the Passover. And every year, you always end up in a discussion saying, well, what did you give up for Lent? And every year I have the same line. I gave up my diet. (laughs) The problem being, I didn't actually have a diet before Lent. You see where I'm going with this? Our, our, Our issues with sacrifice... In all honesty, we're lame about it. Here's the reality of all this. This week has been a week for me of basically running around playing the part of Lance Hahn. I got a call on Wednesday to go speak at the college on Thursday. I got a call on Friday to speak at church this weekend. Oh, yeah, all right. So I'm running around. But here's the thing. The most sacrificial person I've come across this weekend, no matter how much this has had an effect on my schedule, has been my wife. And here's how lame I am. So we can be real. I'm lame. I got my notes together on Friday night and emailed this gentleman about the blog, and I went to bed. It was rather late. My wife was still up, though. She stayed up. And we went to bed, and, and in the morning we woke up. Well, I should say, the kids woke up, and they're bouncing off the walls and bouncing off the bed. Blah, and, I, and I pulled one of these. And I'm thinking in my mind, is she going to get up? I'm going to lay here until she gets up. And sure enough, my wife got up out of bed and went to help the kids. And I lasted about another three minutes before I was shamed. And I said to myself, you are the biggest hypocrite in the world. You're speaking on sacrifice. You can't even get out of bed. So I got up and I shuffled out to the kitchen. I'm sorry. But all of this shot holes in her weekend. She had chores for me to do yesterday, which I was like, 
I'd rather write a sermon than do some chores. But that's, that's where we are. Our idea of sacrifice is just lost. Spiritual postponement. Give me one more example. In October, I decided I would do a fast from television. I was watching too much TV. I thought, I'm going to take a break. I would get up in the mornings. I would pray, Jesus, I'm so thankful for the discipline of my life. I thank you for you. But God, I am really thanking you for my DVR. Because I'm not missing much. And that's how we treat it. Our sacrifice becomes this temporary issue where we give up something for a little while, but in the back of our minds we've given up nothing. We've not actually sacrificed a thing, and that's our attitude. The Western church, welcome to it. We never lose out. We simply put stuff off. Follow at cost. We lose out because we try to save our own lives. Finally, Jesus asks this question, and he says, What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? And here, Jesus brings this home with this question. Seems somewhat rhetorical. What good is it if a man gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? None. Ding, 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 ding. Good answer. No good. It does us no good if we gain the entire world but forfeit our soul. If all we seek in the middle of this world is our own glory, if all we seek is our own accolades, if all we seek to gain is material possession, and we amass all of this stuff, at the end we lose it all anyways. We're all passing on into eternity and all of that stuff is staying here. So everything you've worked for, goes to someone else. And that's not, a, that's not an invitation to say, well, I'm going to, you know, spend it all. It's an invitation to say, I'm going to fall after Christ. I'm going to pursue Him. Then I will gain eternity. So, it brings us to the final question, which is where we start. Where do we start with this? I say start practically. Start by thinking about how you sacrifice yourself and how you take yourself out of the equation each day. You see, in the midst of this, Jesus lays this out very specifically. You must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Here's why. Deny yourself before you reach for the cross. Before you think you'll take that burden up. Get yourself out of the way. Because you know what I don't want is I don't want you picking up your cross and carrying it around like it's a trophy. Look at me. Got my cross. Suffering for Jesus. Woo! I don't want your martyr syndrome. Get yourself out of the way. Take yourself out of the equation. Don't pick the cross up for you. Pick it up for me. Then take up your cross. Once you know you're out of the equation, take your cross up and follow after me. Take your cross, which leads to certain death. Death to what? Death to your former way of living. Death to the world. Death to self. Those deaths. Put on the new. Follow after me. Put your faith in me alone. 
Don't put your faith in anything else. Put your faith in Jesus alone. Don't put your faith in Bridgeway Christian or Lance Hahn or Justin Pritchard or Russ Graff or any of the members of staff here. Put your faith in Christ and Christ alone. Follow after Him. And now, of course, we come to this place in which you say, that really <clears throat> sounds great, you pious jerk. I can't do that. I don't have what it takes. Let me let you guys in on a little secret. Come close. Neither do I. Not an ounce of it. Not one of us in this room has the intestinal fortitude to go after God on our own. Not one of us. That's why it takes Jesus. Not one of us make it there of our own accord. It takes Christ. And as we set our eyes on Jesus, Jesus gives us the strength to carry the burden of the cross. Jesus gives us love that inspires us to deny ourselves. And Jesus guides us with wisdom as we follow after Him. It starts with Jesus. You see, this is not about action. This is not about doing stuff. This is not about a checklist. This is about surrender. This is about a new attitude. This is about getting yourself out of the way. Being willing to lose all for Jesus Christ. And finally, Jesus says, For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what He has done. And everyone goes, I knew he was going to get to that part where we got to do something. Okay. Not what you think. The question is not, what have you done? What's your laundry list of accomplishments? How have you served the church? How much money did you give? What did you do? How many mission trips did you go on? Because, guys, let's face it. No matter what we do, apart from Christ, it is empty. You could feed thousands of homeless people. You could build entire villages in Mexico. You could go to Africa and cure AIDS without Christ. It's nothing. Without Christ, it's empty. And our goal this year is not just to go do stuff. Our goal is to impact the world. And as we set our eyes on Jesus, and as we follow after Him, taking up our cross, moving ourselves out of the picture, and we commit ourselves to pursuing Him, imagine the impact that that has on the world. You guys, I came this weekend with the not-so-unique position of preaching this sermon as a complete hypocrite. This is not my strength. This is not something I've got nailed down. This isn't something I do well every day. So here today, I become the biggest hypocrite in the church. I'll tell you what I'm doing. I'm going after Christ. I'm setting my eyes on Him. Because I'm insufficient. And He's everything. So my question for you is, would you join me? And that's the flip side of this coin. It's not the gloom and doom of you better do, you better. It's we go after God 
we set our hearts this way, denying ourselves, taking up the cross, following after Christ, He promises us life and freedom. And in John it says He promises life in the full, life to the full, life abundantly. That is the life that Jesus promises. That's what I want to go after. So the question is, will you come with me? Let's pray. God, this morning, would you open our hearts? God, would you engage us in this plan? Would you beckon to us, Lord? Would you draw us near? Help us to understand this idea of denying ourselves, taking up a cross, and following after you. God, will we lift our eyes and set them on your throne? Would we pursue you wholly? And will we take our stuff that we hold so tightly and give it over with open hands to you. God, will we follow at cost? Whether it's raise, whether it's promotion, whether it's embarrassment, whether it's whatever, would we set it aside? Would we lay it down? Would we give it over? Would we give it all up for the sake of your gospel? For the sake of your kingdom, God, and for the sake of your glory. Go out with us today. Begin to change us. Begin to form us into who you called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.